following audio is from a sermon series called Identity Formation. As we study through the book of Ephesians, our aim is to get an understanding about what is most true about us when our identity is found in Jesus Christ. As we understand our gospel identity, we learn that our being informs our doing. Ephesians is all about identity formation. For more information on Sacred City Church, visit scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were, in, and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, if, if you're just joining us, we have been making our way through the book of Ephesians. We tend to go pick a, a, a chapter, or I guess actually, no, a book of the Bible, and we go verse by verse, chapter uh, by chapter through that, making our way gradually through. Since about um, April, we've been in the book of Ephesians, going slowly through, seeing what the Lord has for us in a church. And, and one of the main themes that you see through the book of Ephesians is this concept of identity formation. It is God speaking to his people, his church, saying, this is who you are. This is what is most true about you if your identity is in Christ. Um, and so we, we've been going through that, and, and chapters 1 through 3 sort of open this up and explain to us what our true identity is. And, and we have since turned that corner, and, and the halfway point of the book of Ephesians goes from telling us about our identity and what it is um, and what Christ has done for us. Um, in fact, the, the only thing that the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians tells us to do is to remember our identity in Christ. That's the only thing that we're told to do. It's all about what Jesus has done. And then we turn the corner to chapters 4, 5, and 6, and it starts to explain explain to us how we actually live in that identity. In fact, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 says, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called. So here it is, this, this grand theme in Ephesians of identity formation. And basically what's happened, so that first part is who you are in Christ. We've kind of moved into this mini-series uh, through Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 that's going to be basically just like walk it out. Here's how you walk out this identity. Here's how you live it out. Here's how you walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And now, starting last week, we basically started a micro-series within a mini-series of a major series, right? All kinds of sub, it's like Inception, Sermon Inception here. Um, and it's been called, um, I'm just referring it to as like gospel change. Um, the, the, this past week and this week and actually moving into the next couple weeks is talking about gospel change. Um, I think I said this last week, one of the most fascinating things about the Bible is that it makes a claim that you can change. That's good news. Right, we come broken and we come, come wounded and we've got all of these things about ourselves that if you re really to do a self-assessment, you say like, I don't really love this part about me. And I want God to change it. I want God to change me. Well, the Bible says, yes, that, that's possible. Change is possible. But not only that, it goes a step further and says, for the Christian, change is necessary. 
See, as a Christian, there's a profound change that happens the moment you put your faith in Jesus. We call it the moment of conversion. Um, or, or another way to talk about this is, is you've been justified. It's something that happens definitively where there's a change um, in your position. So um, we talked about this earlier that we were once orphans of wrath. That was part of our, our profession of faith. We were once orphans of wrath. We were pushed out. We were far away from God. Uh, uh, another way that, that Ephesians 3 talks about it, or Ephesians 2 talks about it, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. And then there's this positional change that happens when you get saved. God, God changes something in you instantaneously in the most profound sense where you go from being an orphan to now a beloved son or daughter. You go from being once far off to now you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. You go from, from being, what was the other thing that I said? Um, uh, dead, to your sin, dead in your sins and now you've been made alive. See, all these things happen instantaneously, this profound positional change that happens, but when that, when that, that moment, uh, uh, we call it salvation, when that moment of salvation takes place, what then it, it begins is the process of sanctification. It's the process, it's an ongoing, lifelong journey where we are becoming more and more like Jesus, where our, our position in Christ is now made practical. Like, it changes the way that we live. It changes our conduct, our behaviors, our attitudes, our thinking. It changes everything about us, little by little, inch by inch, um, one category of life at a time. Jesus is, is doing this, this renovation of the soul. And Ephesians chapter 4, which is where we are today, um, which was read, it's saying that the, the process of change is twofold, essentially. This, this process of, of sanctification, the process of becoming more like Christ, is this twofold process. And I'm just going to read it to you because it sums it up here in verses 22 through 24. It says, um, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see it right there, the, the twofold things, to put off the old, to eject it, to, to dispel it, and to put on the new. It's like a change of clothes happens. You, you go from wearing these grungy, dirty, nasty, filthy clothes, you take them off, and then you put on a new set of clothes that are, are we'll, we'll, we'll find out is, is white and pure and righteous and, and, and glorious in Christ. And so Paul is saying, this is the process. You put off and you put on, and you have to have both. Now, last week we spent most, we spent the whole week talking about putting off, right? Part one was putting off the old self. What is that? So if, if you weren't here last week, it might be good to go back and, and catch up on our podcast and, and listen to that. But if you don't put off the old self and you go straight to putting on the new self, what happens is, is you become a, a hypocrite. That, that you're a multi-layered thing of the old and the new. It's interlaced in a way that, that is not, um, it does not carry any integrity, and Jesus had a lot to say against hypocrisy, and our desire as disciples of Jesus is to follow in his ways. And one of the things that we really don't want to be as Christians, which sometimes we fail at it, uh, is being hypocrites. And so there is a sense of, in my sanctification, I have to put off first in order to put on. Otherwise, I'm going to become a hypocrite. I'm not going to have any credibility. But the other thing that if we don't put on, if we just put off without actually putting anything on, what happens then is there's a vacuum that there's a void that will inevitably get filled by something else. If we're not intentional about what we fill it with, it's basically what's going to happen is it's, it's an old self 2.0. Um, Paul talks about the deceitful desires that are working in our heart. If I, if I put off one set of deceitful desires, it's likely, um, if I just leave that as is, that another set of deceitful desires will come in, and, I, and I've got basically the same problem, uh, just another chapter. And so there is this need to do both, to put off and to put on. And so today... 
we are looking at putting on the new self. Putting on the new self. The twofold process, part one was last week, part two this week, putting on the new self. And the three things, three headings that I, I want to operate underneath today is this. So the first question is, what is the new self? What is Paul talking about when he says, put on the new self? What is that? The second thing I want to show you this morning is the glory of the new self. And then I want to close with some practical stuff. The third heading today is how to put on the new self. How do we do it? So here we go. Um, what does Paul mean? He says, put on the new self. When we look at the word new, especially in the English language and, and the ways that we use the word new, there, there could easily be some, some confusion about what Paul is talking about. The way that we think of new, like if I say, hey, I, I'm getting a new phone, I'm getting a new house, I'm getting a new car, what, what we're thinking is that there, is a, there are two separate entities. There's the old thing that's broken or beat up that's no longer you know, it, it just doesn't function like it ought to anymore. And then there's this completely new thing, two separate entities um, where I trade in one to get the other, right? You, 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 if you get a new phone, you're not going to hold on to your old phone, right? Because you get this, you upgrade to whatever, I don't even know what the newest iPhone is, but, but you're going to put the iPhone 10 down and you're going to pick up the iPhone 21, whatever it is. And you, you just, you're not going to go back to that. That old thing is gone. It, it's not useful anymore. It, it, you just don't have any sense of connection with it. Um, same thing with a house. You, you buy a new house, you're moving to a completely new structure, a completely new entity. You move out of the old thing, you move into the new thing. And so this thing of uh, the, the way that we think about the word new, it has this chronologically conditional aspect to it, where it's like out of the package, brand new, something that's, that's got a, a new creation date, like it's completely separate. From, from the old thing, like just like with trading in a car. You go to trade in a car, you're going to leave your old car at the dealership, right? You're not going to take a door panel with you and put it on the new car. It doesn't make sense, okay? You're going to leave that old thing there and, and then take the new thing, um, the brand new thing, you're going to drive that off of, of the lot. That's the way we typically think about the word new. When we're talking about a new thing, a new self, like it, it might invoke this idea that I'm gonna, there's like, I've got two different selves, and one goes here, and one goes there. So, but Paul is not talking about it, the word new in this regard. Um, what he's talking about when, he, when he's talking about this exchange of the old self for the new self, what we talked about last week, isn't that there's two different psyches, two different selves. What happens is what the self that he's talking about, the way that he's identifying it, is really the, the, the heart, the, the desires. We have two competing sets of desires, one for old things and one for new things. And so what, what Paul is showing us here, Jesus isn't running this cash for clunkers program, right, where you trade in the old self and he gives you a brand new, like completely different, new kind of self. Um, if that were the case, this is, if you follow this line of thinking, if Jesus were to do this trade-in program where you trade in the old self and then you, you get a new self, what, what happened then is, is you would lose some of the things that make you you. You, you would, if there's this complete um, distancing from the old thing and moving into the new thing, right? It's a, two separate entities. One is ejected. The other one is embraced. What would happen is you lose some of the things like your personality, um, some of your skill sets, your psyche. There, there's certain things that God has fearfully and wonderfully made about you that, that are going to be present in the old self and in the new self. Um, and, and if we were to dump the old, then we would lose some of these things. And what would happen then is it creates this compatibility issue. Um, it, it creates this thing where I cannot carry on um, in my old life, um, and so I have to basically start afresh. I have to start new. And so think of this in, in the family. If, if, 
if you're married and neither one of you at the time are, are saved or you, you know who Jesus is, you come to faith in Jesus, and one of you gets saved, you, you come to understand who the real Jesus is, you, you put your trust in him, you want to be his disciple, follow him all the days of your life, there would be this new tension that's here within your marriage. Your, your, your spouse is not a Christian yet, Lord willing, he or she will be, uh, and you are. And so there's this compatibility issue where you think, well, uh, to put off the old self means that I would have to kind of like lose some of that, that, that family, that like maybe I have to step out of that marriage now. Well, is that, well, no, 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 that's actually not the case at all. Um, same thing with work. Like, like if I get saved as a janitor, I'm going to go back to work the next day as a Christian janitor. I don't have to lose everything that I have done in my life. I don't have to lose the relationships. I don't have to ditch all my old friends. My life still goes, goes on as it was. There's no complete reset that happens. If that were the case, you'd have to go find a new, new group of people, a new, a new place to be. But that's not the way of the gospel. In fact, this is part of the genius of, of the gospel. This is part of the genius of the Christian life is that when God saves you, he keeps and, and keeps um, things about you intact. Your personality remains largely the same. You, you retain the same skill set. There's things that stick with you. So there's this profound change that happens, yet there's continuity. And you can actually see this throughout the Apostle Paul's writings. As he's, he's writing to Philemon, this is one of the most interesting places where at that moment in time, Philemon is a master. He, he's got this other dude um, that Paul's writing about. I can't think of his name right off the top of my head, but he's a slave. He, he's a, a, an indentured servant type of role. And, and Paul is addressing them. He's like, hey, you have both come to faith now, and your, your um, position as a master remains, but guess what's happened? There's a change that's going to happen in the way that you master. So same way, like if you were saved as a car salesman, you're going to go back to work the next day and still be a car salesman, but you're probably going to do it in a little bit different of a way. Same thing with, with that, that guy who was, who was uh, the servant of um, Philemon. He's, he's going to go back to, to work, a lot of the same, but his attitude, his, his mindset, his, his, um, the, his approach to, to life is going to change in this profound way, but in the meantime, all of the personality, all of the traits, all of the things that make you you remain intact. Um, life carries on. And as those things are sort of intact, the, the sense of which you've been fearfully and wonderfully made by God, now what happens is the things that, that have sort of uh, gone a little haywire, the things that are a little off kilter, now start going, uh, undergoing this transformation, this, this renewal, um, this refurbishing, where God takes what's already there about you, like the raw materials of already what's already there in you, and he begins to redeem it and sanctify it and to improve upon it. This is what Paul is thinking here when he talks about the old and the new self. He, he's talking about a qualitative change, that the thing that's there still stays there, but there's this restoration, there's this, this renovation that takes place. And we see this um, when, when Paul talks here in verse 23. Um, first he says, put off the old self, and then he says, be, look at this, be renewed. So, so it's not just be new, it's be renewed, to be refurbished to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul says, listen, Jesus is recreating you. You've already been created. 
And Jesus is renovating, he's restoring, he's recreating you. And when he says this here in verse 24, where he says, to be created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness, that should trip a mental wire for us, right? Do you hear the echoes of Genesis chapter one? That we were created in the image of God and in his likeness, humanity was created. Well, Paul is, is borrowing that same refrain that the new creation, the, the new self, the recreated self that God is, is making through the gospel is now sort of reclaimed true righteousness and holiness. So the Imago Dei, which is true of, uh, of Genesis, for all humanity of Genesis chapter one, that we were all created. All humanity is cre- created in the likeness and image of God. That's true. And that's one of the reasons why Christians champion things uh, that that reflect human dignity. Like, uh, Christians should be against racism, right? Equal dignity, value, and worth of all humanity. Christians are are fighting for the unborn, right? There there are all kinds of ways that Christians ought to live in light of this Imago Dei of Genesis chapter 1, where there's human dignity that ought to be fought for and preserved, but Genesis chapter 3 comes along and says, the Imago Dei, which, which was meant to be that, that we are to reflect, like in being created in God's likeness and image, we're meant to reflect the glory and splendor of God. That there's something, actually there's something transcendent about humanity. There's something unique that no other creation, no other creature, no other animal has this, this calling of being created in the likeness and the image of God. But here in Genesis 3 we find out that that likeness and image, though it's still there, very much so, there's something that's been corrupted or distorted about the Imago Dei. And Genesis chapter three tells us that it's sin. It's, what happened is sin has worked its way into humanity and like a cancer has sort of deteriorating the life of humanity. To, to live a, an inhumane kind of life, it, it sort of strips things back. The, the, the dignity, the beauty, the glory that was meant to be is started to like be distorted. And what's happening here, when Paul talks about being recreated or created in the likeness of God, after true righteousness and holiness, what he's talking about here is how the, the, the process of gospel change reclaims what God had attended back in Genesis chapter 1. He's saying that, that God is working to redeem all humanity. Like everything that sin had done to, to, to disrupt, to distort Humanity, God is now working to recover, to reclaim, to redeem through the gospel. In fact, that that the work God is doing, whatever glory that we were meant to reflect in Genesis chapter 1 will will be heightened to an even greater greater degree in the new heavens, new earth, the new creation, where, where everything will be made new. But what this means, that right now, here in the midst of your life, God is working to recreate you. In fact, in a a lot of ways, you can say part of the already, not yet. You have already, if your faith is in Christ, you have already been recreated. You you are seated with Christ in the heavenlies, is what we're told. That's a new self that's already seated with Christ. Yet there's this this disconnect of, of the self that I am now and my future self that will be in the new heavens, new earth, when all things are made new. So let me, let, me, let me go back to this. In this process of sanctification, this process of gospel change, let me use a car illustration here. Um, think of yourself like a 1957 Bel Air. I got a picture of it here. 
throw it up there. 19, I think it's one of the best cars that's ever been created. I'm not much of a gearhead, but I think there's something about this car that is magnificent. But while we're a magnificent 1957 Bel Air, we, we, nope, that's not the one, guys. Well, that's too faint. There we go. That's the one. Still magnificent. Ding in the fender. Doors are rusted shut. Misfiring cylinders. You got a bad exhaust system. It's like you're going to get choked out if you're driving. So, like, that's kind of where you're at. In fact, this is the mild way of illustrating what the Apostle Paul said about the old self back in verses 17 through 19, right? Talking about deceitful desires. Uh, we're, we're callous that there's a constant striving for sensuality, greedy for every kind of impurity. There, that's kind of what he's like. He's like, there is a, a defunct version of the old self here. And that's kind of what this picture portrays. You're, you're mechanically and cosmetically unsound, just not in good shape at all. And then Jesus gets a hold of you, right? This is the condition that Jesus finds everybody in. And Jesus gets a hold of you, and he's a soul mechanic, and he gets to work. He starts working to, to get rid of the rust, to get the, the engine working right. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, that, that, that we are his workmanship, right? That, that Jesus has us in the shop right now, that he's recreating us through the gospel. He, he's, he starts to restore and repair what we are. He cuts out the parts of rust, right? You can't use rust. You don't want to bondo the whole thing. You cut out the rust. He starts replacing the faulty parts. He puts on some new door panels. He's renewing you uh, to reflect uh, God's glory as the way that you were meant and intended to do that thing, to, to get you back to a place. Because right here, this is, not, this is like a post-Genesis 3 version of you, right? Before it was great. And then time and sin messed it up. And this is kind of where we're at. This is our starting point. And, and Jesus gets to work. And, and as Jesus gets to work, what he's doing, it's much more than just slapping some paint on there much more than just like polishing the little bits of chrome that don't have rust on it yet, right? And the, the equivalent of that, and, and this is the way that, that, you know, it's really easy for us as humans to kind of revert to this mentality of, of this quick fix, that Jesus wants to do this quick fix is just change it, tweak a little few things here and there, and just kind of like modify my behavior a little bit. But, but what Jesus is trying to do is so much bigger than changing just a few pieces of your life. We're talking about a total rebuild, a total overhaul of the stole. That, that nothing, like when you are in Jesus' shop, there's nothing, no part of your car <laughs> that will go untouched. His fingerprints will be everywhere. Your whole life will now be reoriented in the gospel. Now, this is part of the reason why that there's some continuity to the, life, to the old life and the new life. A lot of things are going to stay the same. But what's happening is he is he's renovating, he's reorienting, he's, everything that we do in life now is sort of under observation. We're, we're trying to think through how, is this the way that it ought to be? And Jesus is reorienting us in the gospel, yet at the same time, it's still you. It's still you. But when Jesus gets a hold of us, the first thing that he does is he gets under the hood. He... he he swaps out the engine. He, he takes the heart. It's like the heart is the most crucial and pressing part of the rebuild because if you just do all the cosmetic stuff and don't tend to the mechanical stuff, that car is not going to be functional. It's not going to go. It'll basically be the only thing it's useful for is for sitting in your garage. 
You can't dig it out, can't cruise, can't enjoy it. So the first thing Jesus does, he gets under the hood and he swaps out the engine. He gives us a new heart. And the heart is the control center for life. Everything that you do, everything that you think, everything that you, you um, do, everything that you say, it comes from the heart. Proverbs chapter 4 tells us the heart is the wellspring of life. Thoughts, words, actions all originate in the heart. It's, it's the control center for life. And so Jesus goes right to the center, right to the core of our being. And where the old self, this, this old car had a seized engine, where we had a bad heart with twisted desires, and, and, and because of that heart with twisted desires, there's all kinds of ungodly conduct, sinful, inhumane way of being. This, he talked about the former way of being, the former life that we had before Christ. There, there's all kinds of ugliness and, and just like the equivalent of rust in our lives. Malice, slander, Gluttony, drunkenness, obscene talk, gossip, envy, lust, idolatry, pride, the list goes. All of these things all originate because our heart, there's something twisted. There's something warped in our heart. It's seized. And Jesus takes us, and he, he pulls out the old heart, and he, he puts in a new heart. This is the, the thing that Ezekiel talked about. Take, take out my, my heart, of, my stone, uh, heart of, of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. This is what Jesus does in the gospel. He gives us a, a pumping, pulsating, working, functioning heart. It's like that, that new heart is now a, a 454 big block engine that runs like a fleet of unicorns, all right? It works. It's got all the power you need. And Jesus drops that thing in there. It's unwarped. It's got pure desires. In fact, the desires, we see this, this difference between here, the, 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 the contrast between the old self, which is corrupt through deep, deceitful desires, and now the new self, which has a desire for, for God, right, to be in the likeness of God and for true righteousness and for holiness. There's, there's a, a, a vast contrast there between the two. And Jesus says, listen, I'm giving you a new heart, a heart that desires righteousness, a heart that loves God, uh, uh, no longer pushes away, no longer runs away from God, no longer tries to replace God with other things, but a heart that loves God, that, that desires to be like God, to be righteous, to be holy, to be blameless. A heart that delights in what is good, right, true, and perfect. This is pure heart stuff. This is the stuff that, that, that um, King David says, create in me a, a pure heart, a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. See, this is, this is what Jesus does in the Gospels. In other words, God is, is giving us a heart that is now centered on God. It's, it's fixed on him. It runs on him. And once that new heart has been mounted, once the mechanical stuff has been addressed, we've got a running car. It still looks a lot like the old one. But Jesus gets to work on the exterior. The interior, interior stuff now becomes public, where in the gospel, because we've experienced the generosity of Christ, it, it does something in my heart where I have now a desire to be generous. And, and that, that, that not only a desire to be generous, but then it starts to be made public, where, where I, I'm actually demonstrating generosity or even thankfulness, where my heart of thankfulness now spills over into thankful actions, or, or my heart that's been filled with the love of Christ. Remember, the, the height, depth, breadth, width of the love of God has been implanted in my heart, and now it's oozing out of me, where, where it goes internal to external, 
This is where our action and our conduct will, uh, starts to surface so other people can see the internal work that God is doing. And what's happening here is my life is being reformed. It's being recreated. It's being redeemed in the sense where the, 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 the internal stuff made public. I'm now living a godly life marked by a true righteousness and holiness. And in this, what happens, and we put off the old self and put on the new self, it means that in putting off the old self, there might be things in your life that you're doing that you just need to stop. Certain behaviors, certain activities, uh, certain mindsets that, that are actually just holding you back and keeping you from, from going into the shop so Jesus can have his way. And start to, to redeem and repair and to, to rejuvenate your life. So there's some things that we're gonna have to stop doing. And I trust that the Spirit works in conviction and, and probably you feel that right now, the Spirit's saying, okay, this is probably where we need to go to work. Right? Don't, don't resist the Spirit. But then there are some things that we need to start doing. Right? In, in the new self, when the new life, this new conduct, this new way of living is inaugurated, it's started, it's launched, there's some new things that we're gonna start doing. But, but even as we change some of those new things, what really happens is the motives for what we do really gets changed. So like, for example, I think there are people in our city that probably do a better job of serving the poor and the needy, um, serving the, the marginalized folks um, that are in our city. They, they don't have any relationship with Jesus. They don't have any sort of like new self-motivations. Um, and they're probably kind of like leading the pace, which is pro probably to the shame of the church. And if, if I'm that way and I come to faith, God can, I'm doing good things, but I might be doing good things for the wrong reasons. I might doing it so like people look at me and say, oh man, that person, you know, you do so much for, the, for this community or you do so much for this. The, the motives for that are sort of self-seeking. So people look at me and say, wow, yeah, you're doing a great job. Well, here in the gospel, our motives for doing the good things also change. So we stop doing some things, we start doing new things, and then uh, underneath all of that, our motives, our desires are being altered so we do things, good things now for the right reasons. Now I need to clarify, because we don't, this doesn't mean that Christians are always operating from the new self in real time. We talked about this again last week, too, that there's this, this tug of war happening in real time between the old self. Paul talks about this, I think, in Romans 7, talks about, I, I do the stuff that I don't want to do, like this tug and war. He's talk, talking about that tug of war of the old self, the new self, because we live in this tension of the already and not yet. The old man is lingering. He's trying to sabotage the new man from coming to the surface, from, from being you know, put on, on display by God. What happens is we sort of revert back to our old ways. We, we go back to wandering in the old way of life. But one of the defining traits of Christians is that when that old self surfaces, is that we're, we're quick to put him off or her off. We're quick to say, listen, that, that's not who I am. In fact, that's what Paul says. This is not the way you learn Christ. This is not your true identity. And so there's this quick reflex, and it gets quicker and quicker with time, because it might not be quick right away, but there's this reflex that God puts in us that says, listen, this is a problem. This is an issue that needs to be dealt with. And one of the, the defining traits of Christians is that we fundamentally, at the core, at the heart of hearts, is that we desire God and desire to walk in his ways. Now, that doesn't mean we do it perfectly again, 
But when that old man surfaces, when those futile desires, those warped desires surface, there's this reality. It's like, I know this is not for my good. This is against me, and I want to put this to death. And so we, we have this assurance that, that even in the fight of, of feeling the tension of the old self and the new self, that, that I'm fighting for my joy in Jesus. I'm fighting to follow Jesus in the everyday stuff of life, that I'm trying to walk with Jesus and do real discipleship, even though I feel like I'm in this tug of war. See, this is what it looks like. This is the, like, if we're living in the reality of putting off the old and putting it on the new, it's this tension um, and what happens to, to create the new self is God changes our desires first, gives us desires for God. Before Christ, we, had, we, didn't, we couldn't desire God. We couldn't will what is good. And then God gives us a new heart with new desires, and those, those desires then come to the top. So, so we see this, this new self, the desires, this inside-out change, sort of God's working and when we start to see this internal change that Jesus has done, like this internal change going public, it's like door panels are being replaced. It's like the, 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 the holes of rust that were cut out now are mended. It's re-welded uh, together. There's new paint on it. The, the chrome's been polished. The, the, all of the wiring is working as it ought to do. And little by little, we're being transformed, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, from one degree of glory to the next, from one degree of Christ-likeness into the next. And before you know it, Jesus is making you this souped-up Bel Air. Here's... Here's what he's doing. See the transformation? This, this inside-out thing that's going on, right? He replaces the, the motor, changes your heart, starts to surface in, in your life, and he's doing this work. And this is what he's working toward. This souped-up beller, this beautiful car. Now, this is just a piece of metal, right? But, but just fi- take into consideration the people who are in your MC. And you see them, and you see the struggles and the difficulties and, and the, the foibles with sin that they're, they're walking through and wrestling through. And, and, and you can see, maybe you're not that, that beautified thing. And even for yourself, to examine yourself this way, maybe you're not this, this beautified, finished product yet, but God is inching you towards that little by little. And one day we'll be totally refurbished, totally renewed. See, Jesus takes something that belongs in the junkyard and then he, he, he has its way with it so that it should be put on display. See, Jesus is making us beautiful beyond our wildest imagination. He, he's, making us, he's making us like him. And Jesus is the archetype human. Like, Jesus is the perfect human. He is, he is humanity as humanity was meant to be. He's the only human that was untainted by the sin of Genesis chapter 3. And we see this beauty in Jesus through the Gospels as he walked this earth. Right? We see this, this, um, this boldness that Jesus had, yet nobody was more humble than Jesus. He, he, he held these two things that seemed to be intention, boldness and humility. He was both tough and tender. He was, he was truth. He was not just truthful, but he was the truth. Yet nobody has been more loving than Jesus. He had, he came full of power, 
Yet he didn't come to be served, but to serve. See, what, what are we seeing here in Jesus? We're seeing the, the perfect human taking these competing things that seem to be against one another, and Jesus holds them together. And in this way, Jesus is who we aspire to be like. Now, one of the best parts of living in community and, and being in a missional community with other people that are on this lifelong journey of sanctification with you is that you get to see Jesus do work in, in not only your own life, but in their life as well. Like, I don't want to frame it up like it's all, you know, rainbows and, and, and roses, but there will be times where you see the, the clunker come out of people, right? There's going to be times where we're going to face conflict. You're going to get on my nerves. I'm probably going to get on your nerves. We're going to have some sort of issue, some relational issue that we're going to have to, to work through. So there, there's going to be some of that that pops up. But over time, what you see is Jesus working on me and working on you. And over time, you start to see fingerprints of Jesus on other people, places where Jesus is bringing real gospel change in other people's life. And, and you get to sit back and just say, listen, six months ago, you were a completely different person. Six months ago, you were doing this and doing that, and it was just like, what is this guy doing? And now, now you're loving your wife. Now you're loving your kids. Now you're serving. Now you're being generous. Like all these, Jesus is having his way with you, and he's changing you to make you more beautiful. And I don't think there's anything more powerful. There's not anything more affirming that you can lean over and say to somebody in your missional community to say, I see Jesus in you in this way. I see how Jesus has got a hold of your heart, and he's brought this real change to you. I just want to say, hey, thank, thanks for listening to the Spirit. Thanks for not resisting Jesus as he's got you in the shop. I think that's powerful, to get to see that change take place. But at the same time, this is a lifelong process. There's no, Jesus is not on a time frame. He's not in a rush. And Jesus graciously changes us at a rate that we can absorb. So the reason why change might feel so slow in your life, it's because it's happening at a rate that you can absorb. And Jesus is pressing on, changing you, changing us, changing me. But on this side of eternity, we're not gonna get to see this finished product. We, we might get to see hints of it. We get, we get to see, the, you know, the fenders have been put on. That looks good. The door panels look good. The glass has been replaced. Like, that looks good. But the finished product doesn't come together until we get to the other side of eternity on the new heavens and new earth. But here's the hope that we have and, and, and the, the, the confidence that we have in, as Christians is that day will certainly come. That day of glorification. So you were saved that moment where positionally you were changed, you are being sanctified. So now, from a position of being saved, God is changing you, changing your life, changing your heart, changing your behaviors. And one day in the future, you will be glorified, that you will embody all of the glory that you were meant to have. Now, th this is not a, a self-glory that we manuf manufacture in ourselves. This is a glory that's borrowed from God, right? In his likeness, true likeness, and true image, and his true righteousness, and true holiness. It's borrowed from God. It reflects from God. And this day is certainly coming where we will be glorified. John, 1 John 3 says that when we see him, on that day, when we see him, we will instantaneously change to be like him. 
That's what's up. We will be like Jesus. Now, C.S. Lewis, in, in his book, The Weight of Glory, he, he's wrestling with this idea. Like, like, he's thinking through this one day that we'll be changed, and all of the glory that Jesus has will sort of like reflect off of us and, and sort of embody this stuff. He says, in light of this, there are no ordinary people. You've never met a mere mortal. Everyone who is in Christ will be so bright, pulsating creatures, overflowing with greatness, power, and beauty, that if we saw them today, we would be tempted to bow down and worship them. See, that's the glory that awaits you and me. See, that, that's the glory of the new self, radiant, glorious, pulsating creatures reflecting true righteousness and holiness that God gives us. And this is all what awaits us in the new heavens and new earth, that we will be seated with Jesus in the heavenlies. Now, that, that new self, that real new self, I believe is currently seated right now with Christ in heaven. Right now, the new self is seated with Christ in God in the heavenly places. And the process of sanctification, what's going on there is God is exporting the new self, the, the, the complete restored self. He's exporting pieces of that self to your present day self. The heavenly self, little by little, is, is being dumped into the self that you are right now. And Jesus is, is remaking us, restoring us. He's beautifying us through the gospel. That this heavenly creature that we are, and it will be full in its glory one day, little by little, is making an appearance here. Now, this is bringing us to the last section here. How do we start inching our way there? How, how do we put on the new self? If, it, if it's this new, new, new desires, new action, if it's, it's got this glorious capacity, how do we inch our way to the new self and put it on? And I think the first thing that we got to do, actually the first thing that you have to do is realize the new self is who you already are in the gospel. See, you already are in Christ, the new self. Now again, here we come back to the already not yet. Like there's pieces of you that aren't yet, not yet caught up with that, but that is true. See, this is not an identity. This is not a self that we can manufacture. This is something that we receive, an identity that we receive from Christ. It is a gift of grace. See, Jesus... Jesus took our old self, the, the old self with deceitful desires, with, with this corrupt way of, of being in the world, and he takes it and he nails it to the cross. Martin Luther calls this the great exchange. That Jesus takes all that I am. It says that, that um, he who, who, who um, had no sin became sin. He, take on, he took on my old self and he nailed it to the cross. He paid the price for that. And then this exchange happens where now I am given his righteousness, that I've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that, that what was his is now ours, and what was mine became his. There's this exchange. And so what, what David asked for in, I think it's Psalm 52, 53, maybe 51, where he says, create in me a clean heart, a pure heart, O God, that's what happens in the gospel, that we're given this, this pure heart. The heart of Christ is, is implanted in us. See, Christianity is not about believing doctrines or things to be true about Jesus so that you can try to do better. 
Christianity is understanding that Jesus has already done it all. He has recreated you. You are a new creation. You are a new self in Christ. And the key to putting on the new self is to remembering that the new self has already been put on. See, the, the tense that Paul uses here about put on the old self in Greek, it, it's this unique kind of tense. We don't have this tense in, in the English language, but, but it's, a past, it's a kind of past tense. It's, it's been done. It's been put on. The, the new self has been put on. But then here he says to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So he's saying we, we have to come back and, and over and over and over remember the truth of, of who we are. This is verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, right? What he's talking about, to, to, your, your hearts, like the control center of your life, the spirit of your mind. This has to be renewed. It has to keep going back to truth day in and day out. And this is part where, where God is at work and I am at work too, to, to the process of renewal. Ultimately, it's the Spirit. The Spirit renews, but I give myself to the work of the Spirit. I open up myself to what the Spirit wants to do in my life, the synergistic work where we participate in the work of sanctification that God wants to do in my life. Now, how do I renew the mind? How do I renew the spirit of my mind? Now, this is really important because one of the critiques, if, if you're a skeptic or if you're coming from a place where, man, this Christianity stuff just seems like it's blind faith. You just turn off your mind to reality. You, you turn off your mind to critical thinking and just sort of like blindly jump into this faith. That's not at all the case. Like Paul says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Notice that this work is not a mindless work. It, it is an effort in the mind down to the heart. It comes in through your mind, down through your heart, works out through your life. We reckon with the truth. This is the way that you are renewed. Paul says again in, in uh, Romans 12, he says, don't conform to the patterns of the world. Don't, don't just keep going on. Don't keep swimming with the stream, but re be renewed in your mind. We have to fill our minds with truth, with, with God's word. This is the only place that we're, where we can come to hear from God and, and know that it is God. I mean, we can look at creation and learn about God, but God's word is what's going to help us renew our minds. And so in this way, we need to become Bible connoisseurs. We need to be people who are just consuming, consuming, consuming the scriptures, taking them, eating them, feasting on them, meditating on them, and letting the truth of God seep down into our hearts and renew our minds. This is how the work of renewal works. Asking God to do what only he can do. This is, this is the primary way that we lean into the renewal, lean into putting on the new self, is, is going to the scriptures and understanding and meditating and reflecting. But here's, here's the, there's more that you can do. Because it, it's, for some of us coming to the scriptures, it's confusing. Like, you open up Genesis 1, and you can make it through, like, the first few chapters, and then, like, this is crazy. This Bible is weird. <laughs> kind of. You, you might need help navigating. And so I think that there, there's two main resources. I think there's gospel content and gospel context that are meant to help you with the renewing of your mind. So gospel content, things like books. Like, we, we've got a whole, one, one of our identities that we believe the gospel, we become disciples, we're learners, like we're, we're le learning a whole new way of life. One of the things that we have to do is become learners and, and study books. Like, we, we've got a whole library full of books in the hospitality room there. 
I just want, I've made this pitch like three weeks already, but this book, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, one of the best books I've ever read. And, and you can have a copy. There's a free copy on the top shelf. Go to a book like this or, or find any of these other books that help you with the renewing of your mind. There's podcasts. There's, there's sermons that you can listen to. Porterbrook is one of the things that we use to develop leaders and help in the renewing of our minds. We've got all kinds of content that's meant to help you in this. But equally important is gospel-centered context. Places where you are interacting with other people who are on this journey of sanctification with you. Places like Sunday morning gatherings. This is a place where the renewing of the spirit of your mind is taking place. Places like missional community, where, where you're actually like going through and having conversations about what it looks like to follow Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. Fight clubs, where you're meeting with, with a group of men or women and sharing like the, the nitty gritty stuff of life. How do, we, how do we grow as disciples in this season of life? Um, friendships, gospel-centered friendships, these are all contexts where Jesus is trying to do the work of renewing and restoring and redeeming you and them. It happens in community. And as, as we give ourselves to, to the word of God, to the gospel-centered content, to gospel-centered context, together we are becoming more of what we already are in Christ. See, that's the crazy part of this. It's not, it's not go be a new self, go change and, and reinvent yourself. It's become who you already are in Christ. This is the gospel. And just think of this, if, if we're doing this together, if we got a group of 100 people that are just like, hey, I'm ready to put the old self off and put the new self on. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna commit to this. This is my way of life now. Can you imagine the effect that if 100 people were committed to that, the effect that they would have on our city? Like, it would start small. It'd start in our, our neighborhoods and our gyms, our workplaces, right, putting off the new, or putting off the old, no, don't, don't put off the old, new. Put off the old, put on the new. Can you imagine that? The effect, the kind of gospel renewal, it just, it goes from being an individual thing to a communal thing to a citywide thing, Lord willing. And I'm here for that. I want to see God renew us, to renew this church, to renew our city to the praise of God's glorious grace. See, there's nothing more, there's nothing more exciting to me than that. By God's grace, we get to see, little by little, Jesus changing us, changing our missional communities, changing our city. Father, we thank you. We thank you that when you look at us and you see that, that run-down, beat-up 1957 Bel Air, you don't go, ugh, gross. You don't, you don't take it to the dump. You don't take it to the junkyard. You look at us, and what you see is, is, is the beauty of what we could become in Christ. You move in to redeem and repair and restore, to beautify us, God, and, and we, we want you to have our way with us. Stop us from stiff-arming you. In your grace, Lord, would you just, would you override the sinful and corrupt desires that, that just keep making us live an inhumane life? And would you open up to us the way of the abundant life, the, the way of goodness, of beauty, of truth, of, of joy and delight, the way of love and of righteousness and true holiness? God, would you do a work in us that, that we would say, even in a year from now, even six months from now, 
yeah, God's, God's got his hands on me. God's doing something. And Father, as, we, as you bring us deeper into our understanding of the gospel, would more and more fruit be produced in our lives? And that we could see a church becoming what she already is. To the praise of your glorious grace, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.